0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Real love is calling, listen, Truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is
0: waiting for you with every sunrise.
1: He came from heaven, entered our world, died on a cross for our sins. One of the best ways we can, as husbands, dwell with our wives according to knowledge is to enter her world to find out and understand what is she like? What does she not like? What makes her tick? Now, it's a woman's prerogative to change that up on us every once in a while, and and then we have to kind of figure it out all over again about every, I don't know, 10 days. But, uh, but that's her prerogative. But that still should be our goal. This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Is harmony a word that comes to mind when you think of your home? Life can be chaotic and loud. God wants you to strive to have a home filled with harmony. There are lots of scriptures in the Bible that can direct you to this. God calls men to step up and be the spiritual leaders in their homes. Wives need to understand that when there is an argument, that is a tiebreaker. They should yield to what the husband wants. Today, Pastor Gary shows us that God wants us to love each other like He loves the church. He came into our world as a gift, and we need to do the same for our families. We need to bring harmony into our homes every day. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2 and 3, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: We must show respect and honor, except in cases where where government is asking us to do something that is contrary to Scripture. But if, you, if we really want harmony in the area of the world or government, this is, this is how we must be as Christians. Honoring all people, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, honoring the King. Then he moves into, back here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he moves into the next category, which which we're going to call the workplace, because... Uh, In 1st century Rome, uh, he's going to address here servants or slaves and the whole issue of uh, slaves having masters and how are you to live under those kind of circumstances. And so in in some ways, it translates into the idea of the workplace. Obviously, it was something different in 1st century Rome, but it was also different in the sense that a lot of times these were indentured servants who could buy their way out who also offered themselves as servants because they owed a debt and it was their way to pay off a debt. So it it was a different kind of servitude. But nevertheless, let's look at this passage here and let's understand some of the principles of what Peter's saying here. So in verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive. There's the word again, hupotasso. To your masters with all fear, not only to the good and and gentle, you know, not not only to the, 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 the good bosses, but also to the harsh ones. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ, now notice, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer Of your souls. All right, so commentary necessary here. First of all, Peter, and and nowhere else in the Bible, is slavery being condoned. Here's the idea. It was just the reality of first century Roman Empire, and you had servants slash slaves who were getting saved. Now, they're coming to faith in Jesus, and they're still finding themselves in an undesirable situation. So, Peter is writing not in the sense of condoning slavery, but he's writing in a sense of how are you going to make the best of your situation, even though it's not good. And what he does is he compares it to Christ. He says, all right, I want you to take comfort from the example of Christ, who endured suffering in in an obviously not ideal situation. He's being nailed to a cross. He's being reviled. You know, in Mark's gospel, chapter 15, uh, it talks about how, and, and the other gospels do as well, It talks about how, when Jesus was being crucified, he was being mocked and reviled, and people were cursing him as he hung on the tree. In Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse seven, it talks about how Christ, as he was being led to slaughter, like led to the cross, like a lamb led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth; he kept silent. And so Peter is drawing on this example of Christ, and he's saying, "Listen, you're in obviously a very difficult situation; you are suffering." You, you are being mistreated. He says, now, and this is, this is not an easy thing to do. Now, I want you to draw on the example of Christ, and I want you to endure suffering as he endured suffering, and I want you to honor your boss, so to speak, even if you're working in an environment that is not ideal, because if you honor your boss, what you're really doing, honestly, is honoring God above man. Paul would write about this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord and not for man. He says, knowing from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Do you understand that every single one of us, when you go to your job tomorrow morning, if you are fortunate to be gainfully employed, maybe you're retired or out of work right now, whatever. If you have the the um, the opportunity of going to work tomorrow, you are are serving man, but not really. You're ultimately really serving the Lord. And so your work ethic needs to be always with the mindset that I am doing this unto the Lord, that we are serving as Christians. We're serving the Lord. And so as we honor those who are in a position of authority over us, even if it's not an ideal environment, the idea behind an orderly arrangement and harmony, and this whole concept behind submission, uh, is, is, is not because every environment is going to be happy and joyful and pleasing and wonderful. It's the idea that even in difficult environments, in difficult situations, in situations that are not ideal, we will still honor the Lord above anyone and anything else. And so that even when you are in a place of employment that is not fun, not enjoyable, That isn't to say necessarily you need to stay there. I mean, you can find another job if God leads you to another position. But in the meantime, you honor God and you work for somebody, some man, some woman, as if you are serving the Lord. And that's what Peter's saying here behind this whole idea of you want harmony in the workplace? Don't create a mess, don't create a stink. You know, don't be gossiping with your co-workers. Don't be, you know, railing about your boss, you know, during the lunch hour with people you go to lunch with. You know, honor the Lord above man, and you will experience the kind of harmony that God wants you to have, even in a situation that may not be ideal. Then he moves on into chapter 3, to the home. And he says in verse 1, wives, likewise, be submissive, and here's that word again, hupotasso, to your own husband's. In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Next verse, verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered all right so let 's back up and let 's look here at the beginning of chapter three uh, verse one, because between verse one and uh, seven uh, he he talks here about harmony in the home and and he starts with with wives, and there are uh, six verses and one wife uh, one verse for the men <laughs> i don't i didn 't write it <laughs> now um, one of the things here to note is, and, and I have seen this firsthand as the result of just the wonderful witness of a wife, is he starts out by saying, you have the opportunity potentially to win your husbands for Christ without even saying a word, just because of the power of your testimony. I've seen this. I, I honestly, I, do, I can't honestly say I've seen it the other way around, where some husband has brought his wife to the place of salvation because of his wonderful testimony, <laughs> because we, we don't often have wonderful testimonies, ladies, you know us. But I have seen it the other way around. I've seen the way that, that in a wonderful, tender way, the example of a godly woman speaks volumes to a husband. And, and Peter starts out this section by saying, some can win over their husbands, even if their husbands aren't believers. They're not even obeying the Bible. They're not even obeying the word because their wives, even without a word, just by the way they conduct themselves and by the way that this unsaved guy living in the same house is, is observing her conduct and her behavior. And then he, he actually highlights the fact that that inner behavior is even more beautiful than the external. Because that's why he's now, he's not putting down the idea of, um, you know, adorning. In verse 3, where he says, do not let your adornment, uh, you know, be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine, fine apparel. I mean, you know, the word in there is merely, don't let it alone be outward. He's not saying it should never be. There's, there's nothing wrong with these things. But what he's saying is the greater beauty is internal. And I know that almost sounds cliche, but, but it really is true. Uh, you know, outward beauty for all of us fades eventually, but inward beauty is something that is really lasting, that's substantive. And so he's saying that's the real substantive nature of, of a woman or a person in general. But in this context, he's talking about a woman. It's, it's the inward beauty. And, and, you know, so many times all of us are too concerned about the external and, and, how, we're, and how we look. And, 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 you, and if you think it's not true, it is true. You know, if you, if you go by a mirror... You're going to look. If, if I were to take a group photo right now of, of all of you, right, right from here, take a group photo, and we put it up on the screen, who's the first person you'd look for? <laughs> you'd know it's true. So we all are concerned about how we look. And it's rather shallow at times. Because what God really wants is the heart. And the real inner beauty that is valuable and, um, and, and the, the inner person is, is what is most uh, beautiful. And so he's highlighting that here. He's highlighting that. And um, he says, a gentle and quiet spirit in verse 4, very precious in the sight of God. Now he uses as an example Sarah here. And he says, I, I want you to just, you know, take for an example Sarah. Among the different holy women, he, he, he mentions here Sarah. Um, submissive to their own husbands. And, and he says, Sarah obeyed Abraham. She honored him, calling him Lord. By the way, small L, and don't think you can use this verse, guys, to get a new title, all right? <laughs> it, this is Old Testament. It's a very cultural thing. Um, but the reason he uses this example is, is, is not what it looks like at first. It's not because Abraham was actually a great guy at times. It's because Abraham was not always a great guy, and yet Sarah still respected him and honored him because she wanted to honor the Lord. You see, there were times that Abraham lied and threw Sarah under the bus. If you know your Bible's in the book of Genesis, there were a couple of times that Abraham lied to protect himself and didn't care what the damage was going to be for Sarah because here's what happened. There were two different times that Abraham and Sarah went into foreign countries, to foreign territories. And back in that day... If a foreign king or dignitary liked your wife, they'd kill you to get her. All right? That's just the way that they rolled back in the day. Your wife's really beautiful. I'm sorry that she's married to you. I'm a better person than you are for her. So off with your head so I can have your wife. That's what they would do. There are two occasions in the book of Genesis where Abraham introduced Sarah as his sister. You all know this, right? It's my sister. ain't my wife. ain't my wife. Because see, they won't kill the brother. They'll only kill the husband. So he's like, ain't hey, my, my wife. I, I barely know her. She's my sister. I don't, know, I don't know. We grew up together, kind of hang out every now and again. That's my wife. I sister. Can you imagine Sarah standing there going, what? hello? Hello? Fine. Fine. Now I'm going to be taken and and, and, and you're going to be saved. So... This is the example Peter's giving here. Not because Abraham was necessarily great. Obviously, he was a great man. He was, and he was righteous, and his righteousness was credited to him. As, uh, uh, um, his um, faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. But Peter's using him as an example of not every husband is a great guy. And unfortunately, ladies, you don't get to decide. He's not a great guy today, so therefore, I get to kick him in the teeth. It doesn't work that way. It's like he's not a great guy, but... Neither am I a great person. We're all saved by grace. We all need God's grace, and I need to give grace even when he's not a great guy. Because I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to honor the Lord above anybody and everybody. Because remember, one of the two points was God is Lord over all. And then number two, we have to accept God's orderly arrangement. So this is the example he's giving here. Now, he says this to husbands in verse 7. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. The King James, old King James says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Let me tell you, um, I'm no Einstein on this, but several years ago, the Lord helped me to really understand the, the meaning of this in a very personal way, because obviously every person who's married here, if you're a husband and you have a wife, the idea here is dwell with your particular wife according to the way that you should know her, all right? Dwell with your wife according to understanding or dwell with your wife according to knowledge, and the idea is when you begin to understand the particular woman in your life as your wife, the goal should be to enter her world. And suddenly, you know, several years ago, and I'm not saying I've always done the best at this. Um, I'm sure if you ask Terry, she will vouch for that. Uh, but, but several years ago when I started to ask, well, then how, you know, the whole concept in the scriptures in the New Testament about Christ loving the church as like unto the the scenario of the groom loving the bride. We are the bride. Christ is the groom. And how does the groom love us? How does Christ love the church? And one of the ways that, man, the Lord just really hit me hard about several years ago was he loved the church by entering into our world. He came from heaven entered our world, died on a cross for our sins. One of the best ways we can, as husbands, dwell with our wives according to knowledge is to enter her world, to find out and understand what is she like? What does she not like? What makes her tick? Now, it's a woman's prerogative to change that up on us every once in a while, and, <laughs> and then we have to kind of figure it out all over again about every, I don't know, 10 days. But, uh, but that's her prerogative. <laughs> but that still should be our goal. Enter her world, love her as Christ loves the church. How are we being loved? And we need to model that. So he says, dwell with her, with understanding, giving honor to the wife. Now, the Greek word for wife here is is gune. It is the only time in the New Testament this particular word is used. And it literally means, dwell with them, with understanding, giving honor to the feminine one. Unfortunately, you may agree or disagree with me on this. I think that our world, our culture of late does not esteem femininity like it once did, and that is doing a disservice to you ladies because that feminine quality and nature of yours should be honored. Instead of now it's just all this a, you know, non-gender, asexual. It's like we we're all I get we're all equal in the eyes of God, but there are some differences that should be respected and seen and honored. And the feminine nature of a woman should be honored. Unfortunately, it's almost like in some, yeah, okay, praise the Lord. Because, um, you know, I I don't know where at, at some point we took a left turn where being fully male is somehow wrong and being fully woman is somehow wrong. Like, where did we take that wrong turn? Why can't we just honor women for who women are, honor men for who men are, understand obviously that if there are some issues within each gender that we need to work on, we need to work on it, but respecting and honoring each other for the way that God intended us to be. And Peter, rather, here is calling out this quality of femininity. So, When he says you're giving honor to the wife, literally to the feminine one, as to the weaker vessel, he's just making a physiological statement there. This is not a spiritual statement. It's not that women are spiritually weaker than men. Uh, Often, quite to the contrary, most churches have more spiritually strong women than they do spiritually strong men. And uh, not that that should necessarily be the case. I'm just saying my observation over the years is you, you look at a lot of churches and you see women who are oftentimes spiritually stronger than men. This is not a statement about spiritual weakness or spiritual strength. This is just a, it's a statement of physio, you know, physiology. It's just, it's just somewhat reality. Men have more muscle mass. Don't be offended by that. Is there some things that we need to honor women in regards to, and men need to step up and literally carry the load. Now there's a joke around my house. There are times that I will come home rarely, but once in a while. And like, there's a new piece of furniture And it's already in the house. And I'm like, was this delivered? No, 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 no. Wasn't delivered? No. Lindsay and I just we just carried it in the house. You can't. You carried this credenza into the house? You two couldn't you wait till I got home? Well, no, we want to just do it. We can just do it. Okay, so it's like it's like you know, 150-pound credenza that that got somehow in the living room but then so here's the joke in our house but then i've come home with a single bag from safeway could you go out to the car and get that for me (laughs) you just offloaded 150 pound credenza why do you need my help carrying in a safeway bag so that's just a joke in our house but nevertheless, I, I'm happy to do that. You know, men need to, like, serve and, and you know, use your muscles and, like, like, lift things and carry things and, you know, honor that if God's given you some muscle mass, use it once in a while. There's nothing more infuriating to me when I go to an airport and I see a husband and wife, or maybe they're not married, but there's a guy and a lady together, and she's hauling all the luggage. I hate that. It's like, pick up the luggage, dude, would you? Anyway, all right. I digress. We'll end with the way he ends there in verse 7, because this applies to all of us. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then this little caveat to the men, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you are good to your wives, your prayers are going to bounce off the ceiling. That's what he's saying to us. So he says, make sure that you treat your wife with honor and respect and and, uh, honor her her femininity. And... uh, step up and be men and love her as Christ loves the church. Uh, Otherwise you aren't going to have a very effective prayer life. That's what he adds there.
0: Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there. Just look under the Teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the Teaching tab, too. We'd love to have you join us at Cornerstone Chapel this weekend. Come spend some time in God's presence as we worship and exalt Him in praise and dig deeper into the truth found in the pages of the Bible. To find out more and get service times, check out cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of 1 Peter. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.